Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our three-part series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's First Letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Supernatural. Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in now a couple weeks, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians called Changing the Way You Think. And if you've been here the last couple weeks, you've got to know the drill. What was going on in Corinth was that the Apostle Paul had come in and they'd come to Christ in an amazing way, supernatural way. A Holy Spirit had come in their life, all kinds of supernatural things happening, true conversion, no question. But now we're several years down the road and they had never really learned to change the way they thought. And so they were still doing life the old way, same old values as they, before they came to Christ, still thinking like the culture around them. And so the result was they had the same issues that the culture around them faced right in their church and in their personal lives. As we saw last week, one of the issues was they were really taking their cues from the culture, in particular from the philosophers of their culture and from the, uh, the kind of popular philosopher, secular uh, philosophy. And not only were they taken with the philosophers themselves, they were taken with these uh, public speakers in Corinth. Um, if you if rewind the clock a couple thousand years, you go back to a time before CNN, you know, back to a time before uh, iPods, before uh, radios, before TVs, no Dr. Phil, no Oprahs. I mean, how are you supposed to learn about life, you know? And so they... They, what they had is these public speakers, and there was actually a type of training they'd go through, very intense training, and there was a whole field of study called rhetoric. You may remember that from school. And it was uh, uh, these, these uh, public speakers would be trained extensively, and then it was just really popular entertainment. They would use this, uh, the rhetoric, their public speaking skills in the law courts, and in politics, government, all that kind of thing. But they would also just use them for entertainment. You'd be in the marketplace, and there'd be some guy taking up a podium, like, you know, Speaker's Corner or whatever, and he's, just, he's kind of speaking. Uh, you might go to watch the athletic games. In between events, they would have speakers there to speak. You'd go to a party, they'd bring in some speeder, uh, speakers. Temples would have speakers. And so it was big time entertainment in the ancient world and they were really into this public speaking thing. Now, this spelled out trouble for the Apostle Paul because, frankly, at least as far as the Corinthians were concerned, he wasn't that good of a speaker. We know in, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10, it, uh, what they said about him is his letters are weighty. His letters that we're reading, hey, they're powerful, they're heavy. But his speaking is lightweight. He's not a very good speaker. And so what happened is it caused him to question the credibility of his leadership and the credibility of his message because of his presentation. Well, what we're going to find out today is that this was actually intentional on Paul's part. That when he came into Corinth, he made a deliberate decision that he was not going to use all his fancy uh, speaking skills like they were so in love with because he was afraid it would obscure and cover the simple message of Christ. And he wanted to make sure that nothing got between them and the message of Christ and the cross. On top of that, he really wanted them to experience God in a first-hand way. And he was afraid that if he would just do this amazing speaking job, everyone would say you know, they'd come to Christ, but they'd come because of his speaking, not because of God's work in their life. And he really wanted to have a supernatural experience with God. So he actually dialed it back and said, I'm not going to do that philosophy stuff. I'm not going to do the special speaker stuff. I'm going to be straightforward, and I'm going to trust God to show up and really show these people that this is the truth. And so if you take your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 2 today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. We're going to break it into three sections like we've done uh, every week, three or four sections, uh, to help you follow along. And let's just kind of follow as he explains his strategy and why he did this. So chapter 2 and verse what? 
says, when I came to you, brothers, uh, when I came to Corinth, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. So he says, when I came to speak, I didn't come with eloquence. That would be this trained speaking rhetoric of, the, of the, these speakers. I didn't come with superior wisdom of the philosophers. I didn't, that wasn't my, no, my approach. As I proclaim to you the testimony, the story about God. He says, this was intentional, verse 2. I actually resolved, I made a decision to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. I wanted to stay on message. In fact, when I came to you, I came in weakness and in fear and much trembling. We know that before the Apostle Paul came to Corinth, he'd come from Thessalonica in the north and then Berea. He'd been chased out of both towns running for his life. He was getting tired of this job description of his. And so he says, I came in, in fear, I came in weakness, I came in much trembling. You, I wasn't impressive to look at. It wasn't like, wow, what an amazing speaker. And he said, my message and my preaching, verse 4, were not with wise and persuasive words, but they came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. This is what happened when I came to Corinth. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about my speaking skills, how impressive I was. What happened is God showed up and touched your life in a powerful way. And he said, this was intentional, verse 5, so that your faith, I didn't want your faith to rest on men's wisdom, I didn't want to rest on my speaking skills, but on God's power. And see, we're going to be talking about this today, how it's so important that our relationship with God is based on God's power, that we have a first-hand experiences of the supernatural in our life. That's part of the way we do life, because otherwise we don't have a real relationship with God. Okay, so that's the first section. Now he's going to go on this next section, turn the page. Turn the page. <laughs> Hello. Let's see, I was trying to, the first two services, I forgot to tell them to turn the page. About halfway through, everyone's turning the page. So, trying to be on top of it. Okay, the second section is called God's Wisdom and the World's Wisdom and how there's a big difference. Now, if you were here last week, you know that Paul talked about this at length. How the message of the cross, God's wisdom, is foolishness to the world, but true wisdom is something very different. And so he's going to pick up that theme here in, uh, in verse 6. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. In other words, don't think that I'm so down on human wisdom that I don't believe in wisdom. Of course there's wisdom, it's God's wisdom. And, and we do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, mature Christians, mature followers of Christ. But it's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and the God destined for our glory before time began. See, in the Old Testament, before Christ came, God had a plan for the human race to rescue the human race through Christ, right? But it was hidden wisdom. He had not revealed it yet. Even the prophets in the Old Testament didn't know what this was going to look like. And so he says, God had this plan, but it was very different. His plan was very different than this world's ruler's plan. Verse 9. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. However, as the Old Testament says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God had this amazing plan for the human race to rescue us. It was beyond anything that we could ever imagine, and it still is to this day. God's plan for your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is unbelievable. You will never imagine what your future holds in store in this life and the next life. That is his plan. And he says, God had this plan for us. It was hidden in the past, 
But now he's starting to reveal it through Christ. This plan of bringing of Christ and the Holy Spirit. And all, this, he's beginning to reveal it. And it says in verse 10 that God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. And so now he moves into this third section of the passage where he wants to talk to us about God's Spirit and how it's really through the Holy Spirit that we can understand what God wants to do in our lives and only through the Holy Spirit. So this, sec- this last section, the gift of the Spirit, our source of spiritual insight. So it says, verse 10, this, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The secret plan is now revealed. It's no longer secret. It's been revealed. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. In other words, God's Spirit knows what God's thinking, even when they're hidden thoughts to us. In the past, we haven't known what he was thinking, but of course, God's Spirit knew. Verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? You know, you're sitting here right now. You look fairly attentive. You're looking good. But you know what? What are you really thinking? I don't have a clue, you know? You could be thinking like, oh, that's right. I do need to get that Mother's card, Mother's Day card. And, well, where is the closest Ralph's? You know, like, you know. Um, and, and so that's where your mind could be. Uh, we could be sitting here thinking like, oh, we were going out to lunch, going to the beach for Mother's Day. That sounds a lot more fun. And hey, and it's cheaper too. We, you know, it's so expensive and you have to wait long lines after, you know, get to go to the Mother's Day. And so you could be thinking about that. You could have something on your mind about work. Oh, what that project's due tomorrow. I don't know. I just can't get it to come together while I have time. So I don't know what you're thinking right now. You're the only person who really knows what you're thinking unless you choose to reveal it to me. You say, Mike, here's what's really on my mind. And then at that point, I know what's on your mind. He says, God's the same way, that only God knows what he was thinking in the past. We haven't known that, but now he's chosen to let us in on what he's been thinking through his spirit. So verse 11, who who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we as Christians, now as believers, we have not received the spirit of the world but the Spirit who's from God. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your life so that you could understand God's plan for your life and for the human race. So verse 12, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And Paul says, this is what we apostles, this is the message that we speak. It's not in words taught by human wisdom, he said, when we came into Corinth with the message of Christ and his crucifixion and his life for you, it wasn't words taught by human wisdom, but it was, it was words taught by the Holy Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. One of my favorite statements of Jesus is in John chapter 12. Throughout the Gospel of John, he says over and over, my teaching is not my own. I only teach what the Father gives me. But in John chapter 12, he says, um, the Father has taught me what to say and how to say it. So he gave him the words to communicate. Have you ever tried to share your heart with someone and, and they're just not getting it? And you just, you're searching for the right words and finally you find the right words and the light goes on, they get it. You see, it's not just are we sharing our heart, but are we sharing it with the right words to communicate it? And so what Paul's saying here is God has revealed his plan for the human race to the apostles. He's revealed not only the plan, but he's given them the words to communicate it so we can follow and understand Now he says in verse 14, now the man without the spirit, so this would be the non-Christian, the non-believer, the person who's yet not yet followed Jesus, chosen to follow Jesus. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. 
their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Have you ever had the experience of trying to share the message of Christ with someone who the Holy Spirit has not come into yet? And it just makes no sense. It's not that they can't follow your logic. It just doesn't make any sense to them. It's like, how can you really believe that? You know, if we were to leave here today and go out to Zuma Beach and I were to take you down there and show you this incredible, beautiful beach with the, the waves and the blue skies and the whole thing and a little windy and so on. It's just a beautiful day. But let's say you had been blind from birth and you're blind to this day. I could talk till I'm blue in the face describing that beach, couldn't I? I could describe it perfectly, and yet you would not understand. Why? Because you don't have the physical capacity for eyesight. And without that, it doesn't matter how much I talk, you can never get it. What Paul is saying here is that before we come to Christ, we don't have the spiritual capacity to take in spiritual truth. And the Holy Spirit comes in our life, he gives us that capacity, we can see what's there. I was talking with a man this week, and it's a new friend, and we were just sharing our life stories, and he was telling me how he came to Christ. He had, uh, uh, for four years, he and his wife had attended church, but he'd never given his life to Christ. Just he attended, but never really made a commitment to become a follower of Jesus. And he finally came to a point, he said, what am I doing with this? This is crazy. I mean, either he is, Jesus is God, or he isn't God, and if he is, I need to follow, and if he isn't, I, I'm never going to uh, darken the door of a church again. And so he decided, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover, hour a day. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to decide, figure out this thing, whether Jesus is who he claims. So he starts reading. He said, the first two or three months, it was just dry as sawdust. He reads the thing, couldn't make any sense of it, heads or tails of it, boringest book in the world. And about three months in, the light went on. And he said, one day, it was like he was reading, it's like something made sense, and it reminded him of something else over here that made sense. And then these things may start making sense together, and it all started coming together, and it started coming alive and started speaking to him in a powerful way. Now, what happened to him? Well, some, there, some way, in a way we don't even understand. Remember, Jesus says this, the wind blows where it wants, and you can see what it does, but you can't tell where it's coming from, where it goes. The Holy Spirit had blown into his life. And all of a sudden, that dead book had come alive, you see. That's what Paul is saying here, is it's the Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone who gives us the capacity to pick up on spiritual truth. Now, he says, the spiritual man, verse 15, he makes judgments about all things. The spiritual man, the man with the Holy Spirit, the man being led by the Spirit, he has accurate judgments. He can assess truth. But, the, but, he, uh, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. You know, there's going to be a lot of people when you come to Christ who don't um, understand how you could do that and they will judge you. But he says, you know what? Once we have the Spirit in our life, we're not subject to human judgment anymore. You see, that's, well, it's, it's not important to us. Verse 16. Then he, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, for who has known the mind of Christ that he may instruct him? He says, who really knows what God's thinking? Wouldn't you love to know what God's thinking? He says, the amazing thing is, is that we have the mind of Christ. That through the Holy Spirit... Now we know what God's been thinking all these years. We know what's on God's mind. We know what his plan is, that we have the mind of Christ. And it's not just for coming to Christ, it's for how to live. It's how to think, which is what this series is all about, how to change the way we think. We have the mind of Christ now through the Holy Spirit. Now, so that's the passage. So let me step back and just uh, do a a quick flow of it, okay? Let's make sure we follow the flow, and then we're going to get practical and get in the principles. So the flow of the passage is, Paul says, that when I came to you, I purposely made a decision not to base my teaching on human philosophy or this amazing rhetoric that you all love. And the reason is, is because I wanted 
you'd experience God on your own. I wanted to share this simple message, have Christ come into your life and you experience God on your own and have him open your eyes to the truth. Now, we do have a, a message of spiritual wisdom. It's not for the world's wisdom. They'll never understand it. They crucified the Lord of glory. But there is a spiritual wisdom, but it only comes to us through the Holy Spirit as he opens our eyes to spiritual truth. So that's the flow of the passage, okay? Now, let's, uh, let's roll up our sleeves at this point and let's talk about how to tra- stay, uh, stay on track spiritually. Because for the Corinthians, what had happened is they'd come to Christ in this amazing way. The Holy Spirit had come into their life, but they weren't really listening to the Spirit. They weren't really following the Spirit. And as an end result, they were getting off track spiritually. So how do we stay on track in our lives? How does that happen? If we want to, as individuals or as the church of Rocky Peak, if we want to grow up and we want to follow Jesus as a church and we want to mature and we want to impact on this community and we want to make a difference for, for the, for, forever, okay, how does that happen? How do we stay on track here spiritually? Two things. Number one, uh, I'm calling these rules of the road. Rule number one, keep it simple. The first uh, message that jumps out at me from this passage is if you want to stay on track spiritually, you need to keep it simple. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the Corinthians made a major mistake in their life. And this is a very common mistake, by the way. They assumed that there's a relationship between complexity and spirituality. They assumed that if you want to go deep with God, it's got to be really hard to understand. Okay. Uh, and this is a common mistake. In fact, have you ever heard someone say this? They'll go, oh, I went and heard this speaker. He was amazing. Really? Yeah, he was so deep. Well, what did he say? Oh, I don't really know. <laughs> have you heard, this happens to the Christian community, right? It's like, oh, this book is awesome. It's so deep. I can hardly understand it. And see, there's this assumption that to be deep, it has to be complex, And so they struggled with the Apostle Paul because he was so simple. It's like, how can this guy be deep? How can this guy really be spiritual when it's just so simple and straightforward? And so they really struggled with that. And so what they felt like they needed to do is they needed to add something to Jesus. The simple message of Jesus in the New Testament, the teaching of God's Word, that wasn't good enough for them. To grow up, they needed to add human philosophy. So Jesus was good to start with. It's for the baby Christians. But then if we're going to go deep with Jesus, we need to, to, get, uh, we need to add human philosophy. That was their assumption. They started playing what I like to call the Jesus Plus game. Jesus Plus something else. It's good to start with Jesus and the, t- the clear teaching of Scripture, but if you want to go deep, oh, then you need this secret wisdom. You need this new experience. You need this, oh, whatever the thing is. Uh, and it's one of the enemy's uh, most frequent, uh, most common tactics. I-, I promise you, if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, there's going to be someone who comes up to you and says, that's really good that you're a Christian and really good to follow Jesus, but if you really want to go deep, you need XYZ, fill in the blank. You need to go to this conference. You've got to read this book. Uh, there's going to be something that's the key to your spiritual life. And people get messed up with it all the time. Uh, let me walk you through the New Testament a little bit and just kind of do a flyby of some of the churches in the New Testament and how they played the Jesus Plus game. In, in Corinth, it was Jesus Plus human wisdom. But it's always going to vary what the, what the plus is. You know, every church, every era is going to different things. So let me just give you a few examples. The book of Galatians was written to some Christians, come to Christ, powerful way, pagan background. 
And then came some false teachers in. They said, it's really good you become followers of Jesus. But you know, if you really want to go deep, you need to start obeying the old Jewish laws. You need to be circumcised, which wasn't real popular. Uh, you, you need to, uh, uh, well, women were fine with it, but, um, <laughs> but you need to be circumcised. You, you, need to, uh, you need to follow the Jewish kosher laws. Uh, you need to celebrate all the Jewish holidays. So, so it's good that you're following Jesus, but if you really want to grow up spiritually, you need to follow all these laws, okay? So that was the plus, Jesus plus. Uh, in, the, in the town of Colossae, when the church went there, they're growing uh, Christians, and then the false teachers come in and say, you know, it's really good you believe in Jesus, but, you know, we've had these visions, and these angels have shown up to us, and they've given some more truth. And so you need to add these kind of legalistic rules. Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, and you need to kind of have some of these visions and these experiences, and that's, you'll grow up spiritually. Jesus plus came. Uh, in the town of, uh, 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 well, the book of Second Peter, Paul's writing to Christians there who have come to Christ, and there's false teachers come in. They say, you know, Jesus is really good, but, you know, actually our bodies, when you stop and think about it, they're going to be resurrected anyway. So what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. So if you want to go party, you want to go uh, get drunk, you want to go sleep around, hey, whatever, we have freedom in Christ. And so Jesus is good, but you need this moral, new moral code. You go to the book of First John, and you have, uh, hey, Jesus is good, but you know, Jesus wasn't really like a physical person. I mean, he looked real, but if he was there walking on the beach, you wouldn't really see his sand prints because he was like a spiritual being because he couldn't be physical because he'd be polluted if he were physical. And so, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need to add this teaching about Jesus. And so as you go through the New Testament, you see this is one of the enemy's constant attacks on followers of Jesus is to get us to play the Jesus plus game. Now, what's it look like in our lives? Well, in, in, in our area. Well, let me give you some examples. Um, uh, sometimes someone can come to you and say, hey, uh, you know, there's this new teaching here about Jesus or about the New Testament that you need. There's a new experience of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's this new um, uh, Bible code, you know, and this Bible code, this is really the secret. See, it's not really, the Bible is straightforward. That's just for the beginners. But if you really read beneath, then you get the code down, you get the secret of life. There's someone who says, oh, there's this, oh, there's this, uh, uh, there's this complicated end time schemes. And you put all these things together, and here's what's going on. And I, in my life, how many times has someone said, there's, this guy is the Antichrist? You know, from, from Nixon to Kissinger to, I mean, it's like, there's so many Antichrists out there. It's crazy, you know? Uh, and, and it was going back, you know, Martin Luther thought the Pope was Antichrist. I mean, it's just been going on forever. This, this secret information, you know, that, that's out there. Uh, spiritual warfare. Someone's going to come, oh, the secret to your spiritual life is this, this uh, uh, intense spiritual warfare. And they're going to base it on some verse in Daniel or something. And it's like, this is the way it always works. Is it's always based on not the clear teaching of the New Testament. It's always some obscure verse. You know, this obscure verse and this obscure verse is the secret of life. And here's the point. God is not, we're not playing like an Easter egg hunt. You know? <laughs> It's not like, oh, can you find the truth? I'm going to hide it in there. No, it's like you got the whole New Testament. It's straight out there. Jesus, the law, here's, here's how you're supposed to live. I mean, it's clear. One of the most constant ways it happens is people going into the Greek. You know, it's, uh, oh, well, yeah, but in the Greek. Can I tell you something? If someone can't clearly kind of illustrate something in the New Testament and they have to go into the Greek, a language you can't understand, then it's probably not there. 
It's, I love Greek language. I love reading the Greek language. I'm a big fan of knowing the original languages. Don't get me wrong. But it's not because there's some secret in the Greek. Hey, if it's, if it's important, God laid it out, you see. And there's always going to be someone in your life who comes along. You see it in our culture. You see it in cults, right? They play the Jesus Plus game. Uh, the Mormons uh, will say, you know, Jesus is good, but you need uh, Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon to really go on spiritually. Islam will say, hey, Jesus is good. He's an amazing prophet, but you need Muhammad and the Quran to really go on. Uh, it happens in our culture, uh, new Jesus all the time. Right now, this weekend, uh, what, the Da Vinci Code comes out, right? And so what's that about? Uh, oh, no, that's not the real Jesus. Here's the real Jesus. Really had a family, kids, you know. Uh, uh, the, the Gospel of Judas that just came out, you know, and so I just discovered. You know, there's like a million of these Gospel of Judases that were like hundreds, of, you know, came hundreds of years after the real Jesus, after the real Gospels came out. These new pictures of Jesus, you know, how we would make the birds and clay pigeons as a kid and then, you know, poof, make them fly and all this sort of stuff. And this was commonplace, you know, and our culture comes along as if, oh, this is a new discovery, the Gospel of Judas. It's like there were so many of these weird Gospels that came up hundreds of years later, old, you know, old, old, you know, way late on the scene to redefine Jesus. Here's the point. The, the enemy of our souls is always going to try to redefine Jesus or tell you that you need something extra if you want to grow spiritually. And if we're going to grow and become the church God wants us to be, we've got to keep it simple. We've got to stick, no, we're going to stick to Jesus. We're going to stick to the Word. We're going to stick to the New Testament. We're going to learn that together. Now, I want you to see this, what Paul says. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because this was an ongoing problem for Corinth. And 2 Corinthians was written less than a year after 1 Corinthians. It's almost like one ongoing dialogue. And they were just so taken with this extra new stuff, Jesus. You know, it's like they couldn't just be satisfied with Jesus. They had to always, they just really had a propensity to want to add to Jesus and play the Jesus plus game. So in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, in verse 1, let's start at verse 2. He says, I'm jealous with you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that uh, I might present to you a per, pure virgin to him. Notice using the analogy of, of Christ as the bridegroom, we as the church are the, are the bride. And he says, you know, I want to keep it pure. Verse 3, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, See, this is the enemy's tactic from day one. As Eve was deceived by the serpent's uh, cunning, that your minds might somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, interesting. If you have a New American Standard Bible, it, it translates the word sincere as simple, with the simplicity and devotion of Christ. And that's probably a better translation. He's saying, keep it simple. He says, you know... I told you about Jesus. I told you how to follow him. I'm really concerned you're going to get off track spiritually by playing the Jesus Plus game. Verse 4. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, the Holy Spirit, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, hey, well, that's cool. There's room for all of us. Different Jesus, different gospel, different spirit, a little different. You know, that's great. Well, I'll work this out, you see. And it was redefining who Jesus was. They weren't keeping it simple. And so Paul comes to him, he says, when I came to you, he says, that's why I wanted to keep it simple. 
stuck to Jesus and Him crucified. Simple message. Now here's the deal. There is such a thing as spiritual depth. Do you want to become a spiritually deep person? You can do that. There is such a thing as spiritual depth. But when you look at a spiritually deep person, it's never because they know some secret the rest of us don't know. It's just because they have a greater understanding of what we already know. See, depth is not some new secret. It's just a clear understanding of what you received when you came to Jesus. That's what depth is about. You've probably had the experience sometime of reading through a Bible verse that you've read many times before and suddenly it comes alive to you and speaks to you. When that happens, was it like God suddenly gave you a new gift? It's like, no, he just showed you what you already have. You know, that you always believe that God loved you. But now it's like, you're kidding. He really loves me, doesn't he? It's like you always knew that Jesus died for your sins to forgive you. But one day God turns on the light and goes, no, that's sin. You mean that sin? The one that I'm so ashamed That's sin. And the light goes on. Uh, you always believed that the Holy Spirit lived in your life and then there's a day that all of a sudden you begin to experience his presence. Like, he's serious. God's really living in my life. You see? So it's not like a new truth. It's that we go deeper with the same truths. That's where spiritual depth comes from. In fact, this week in your life group homework, you'll be studying not only some of the Jesus Plus games that go through the New Testament I mentioned, you'll be discovering, uh, reading some of Paul's prayers for the churches. And here's what he prays over and over again. He prays that God would open the eyes of their heart so they may understand what they already have in Christ. See, we don't need Jesus plus anything. If you've got Jesus, you've got all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need. You have Jesus, you get everything you need. But a deeper understanding of Jesus and those truths, that's where depth comes from, all right? So first thing he says is, Corinthians, you're getting off track because you're trying to do Jesus plus human wisdom. Don't play the Jesus plus game. Keep it simple. Stick with Jesus, stick with the clear teaching, and just go deeper in that. Now, number two, the second rule of the road is to keep it supernatural. So keep it simple to start with. Now keep it supernatural. Christianity, our relationship with God, is a supernatural relationship from beginning to end. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, He who began a good work in you, he will complete it until the day Jesus comes back, right? So it's supernatural from beginning to end. And yet, as Christians, we often have the tendency to dumb down our relationship with Christ supernaturally, to dumb it down, uh, to reduce it to a set of rules and regulations and rituals, even good rules. You know, it's almost like we first come to Jesus, we don't know any better. We just trust in him because all we know is we're messed up and we need him. And God shows up, he starts changing our life supernaturally, but after a while it's kind of like, okay, God, I think I've got this wired. I can take it from here, Right? And so I've got the rules. I'm, supposed to, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to tithe. I'm going to serve. And I know what I'm going to do now. So, so thanks for the start. I'm on my own now. I can pretty much handle it. And all of a sudden, our lives get dull and routine, and they're not fresh, and God's not moving. We wonder why. It's because we started with the Spirit supernaturally, and then we started trying to perfect ourselves with human effort. You see, like a self-help program. I want you to turn to a passage where Paul talks about this. Galatians chapter 3. This is one of those Jesus plus passages. Galatians 
And uh, of course, these were the Christians that they'd come to Christ and then the false teachers came in and said, you know what, it's good that you got Jesus, but you need to add your uh, Jewish laws, circumcision and so on. And so we'll start at verse 1. He says, you foolish Galatians. Now, never a good way to start a paragraph. (laughs) Who has bewitched you? He says, before your very eyes, when I was there, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I I told you the story, he's crucified for your sins. He said, now I want to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, when you became Christians and the Holy Spirit came into your life, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? Is that how it worked? That I came in and said, here are the Ten Commandments. If you keep these for the next three months, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's how this works. You do all the right things. God will reward you. Is that how it worked in your life? Or was it by believing what you heard? You just trusted in Christ for your salvation. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? He says, you started supernaturally. Now you're going to grow up and become like Jesus through a self-help program? It's on your own? You're just going to work this thing out? It's no, no, no. This Christian life is a supernatural journey from beginning to end. And it's a constant temptation to make our relationship with God natural instead of supernatural. Now, one of the things I love about the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, is that we see this over and over the book, how our journey with God and with Christ is to be a supernatural journey. You see it from the beginning, you see it in the middle. Let's look at a couple passages. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. And go to chapter 1. And you're saying, I should have bought those Bible tabs. <laughs> Still have some left, I think. So in this series, we'll definitely be using our Bibles a lot. And you'll want to make sure that if this is new. Get those tabs. It'll help a lot. Anyway, in chapter 1, Paul talks about when Christ first came to the church of Corinth in verse 5, when, he, when, when the gospel was shared. He says, for in him you have been enriched in every way. He says, when Christ came into your life, he just made your life better in so many ways. In all your speaking, all your knowledge. Catch this. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Now I want you to catch this. Paul says, I came and brought the testimony about Christ. The message of Jesus dying for your sins on the cross. I brought that. He says, but then God showed up and he confirmed that message in your life. See, that's Christianity. It's the word being taught and it's God showing up and confirming it in our lives. That's the message. Now, how did he confirm it? Well, verse 7, in their case, it was with these supernatural spiritual gifts. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gifts. But if you go to chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, where we're at today, 1 Corinthians 2, And verse 4 and 5, same theme. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but they were with, and catch this, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So when I showed up and I, I brought the message, it wasn't just me bringing the message. God showed up with a supernatural demonstration of His power in your life. Now, why is that so important? He says, because... Verse 5, so your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, in the Christian community, often the pendulum has swung way too far one way or the other. Sometimes we've been so afraid of a supernatural experience of getting off track 
that we've kind of bought into this whole thing of kind of a, a thing. You've probably heard it. Maybe you've said it before. Where it's kind of God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You ever heard that? Now, that is not biblical. Uh, remember that saying, God helps those who help themselves. Right? That's also not biblical. Benjamin Franklin said that, not Jesus. Okay? See, what the Bible says is God helps those who can't help themselves. Right? Exact opposite. Well, in this one, the Bible does not say God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That is not biblical. What, it's, what the Bible says is God said it, I believe it, and God confirmed it. You see? It's not the word or the Spirit, it's the Word and the Spirit. It's not either or, it's both and. Now we see it here, but I want you to look at another passage. Turn to the right, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is a church Paul had visited right before Corinth. He'd shared the Gospel. Same thing happened there. God showed up. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers, loved of God, that He has chosen you. We know that God, we look at your lives, it's really clear, God's chosen you. You're born again. Well, why? Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit. And with deep conviction. He says, we came, we shared the message, the testimony of Christ, but then God showed up and it was so obvious that he had chosen you to be his followers because your lives changed. He showed up with power. He showed up with the Holy Spirit. He showed up with deep conviction. We could see the change. Look over in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Same theme in verse 13. Chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, in other words, when we first came and preached the message of Christ, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. And catch this, which is at work in you who believe. You see? The word of God was preached and then God confirming it, working it out in their lives. You see? And so we're called to live supernatural lives. Now, what does it look like? What does it look like to live a supernatural life? Well, first thing we need to say is that one of the big mistakes we often make is thinking that my experience needs to be your experience. So, for example, um, I have some experience with God, and then I want to say, you know what? Everyone needs this experience. This is the key. I went to this conference, I read this book, I prayed this prayer, I had this experience with the Holy Spirit, and so you all have to have this. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. We're not saying that. Uh, God is incredibly diverse, we're all different, He's going to work in our lives differently. But let me give you some examples, just to get your mind uh, going, see if you recognize these in your own life. Uh, the power or the ability to change. Here's one of the signs of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you're able to change. That there's areas of your life you know you need to change. There's areas of sin and you weren't able to change before and the Holy Spirit empowers you to change in those areas. That's a a sign of the supernatural. Here's one. um, A new heightened sense of right and wrong. Like when you came to Christ, there was probably a lot of things that you used to think were just right, no problem with. And you came to Christ and no one told you, no one taught you. It's just like all of a sudden it's like, Wow, something doesn't feel right about that, right? 
It's what's that? The Holy Spirit's just raising your moral consciousness. Um, here's one. Uh, uh, a, a new love for people. Just God putting a new love for people in your heart. Um, sensing God's voice and direction in your life. Uh, answers to prayer. And, and just being led. You know, there's times when you pray and just feel like you're going through the motions. There's other times when you're praying, you just sense it's just flowing. You know what to pray for. And it's just, it's right there. And you pray and God answers. And it's real supernatural. And you sense it. Could be new gifts of the Spirit in your life. Could be a supernatural peace in the midst of a storm crisis. I, have you ever experienced that? I, I was once there was a warrant out for my arrest once for um, for extortion, and uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, I, I waited till after the first year to bring this one up. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Paul was in prison. No. Um, <laughs> When I was 18 years old, a buddy and I had started this business, and, and uh, there was this one high school kid who was working for us, had a bunch of high school kids working for us, and one of them was ripping us off a product and stealing the product and going selling it. So we found out. We didn't want to give him a criminal record, so we decided to be nice, and we came up with this alternate plan we thought was brilliant. We'd have him pay the amount of money that he'd stolen to Young Life, a Christian organization that works with youth, and he'd pay that, and then we wouldn't turn him into the cops, and he wouldn't get a record. He'd learn his lesson. We thought it was a brilliant idea. Well, his mother worked for law enforcement, and the whole family was incredibly dysfunctional and so <laughs> she turned us in for extortion she called the cops and said these kids these guys are accusing my kid of stealing he didn't steal anything and uh and, and they're saying if, if they didn't pay this money that uh, they're going to turn him in t- uh, to the cops and so the cops issued a warrant for my arrest uh for extortion and so my buddy wakes me up six o'clock in the morning waking up one morning before we go to work and he says mike there's a warrant out for our arrest and he tells me, I just watched one of those movies uh, a few weeks before on what happens to young guys when they go into prison. <laughs> I'm about to die. I'm freaking out. You know, 18 years old, I have no sense of how the law thing really works. I'm just thinking, I know they're coming to handcuff, you know, by the time, you know, they figure this thing out, I'm five years into it. I remember going in the back of my pickup truck there that had a shell on it and stuff, and I was just almost in the fetal position. I was freaked out. And just calling out to God, oh God, help the boy. <laughs> and I seriously, I was never been so scared in my life. And all of a sudden, as I prayed, this is peace came over my life. And it just was like all the fear drained out of me, and I just felt as relaxed as I'd ever felt in my life, and I fell back to sleep. Later on, I woke up, I was in prison. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I had the peace, I'm telling you. Um, uh, it, it worked out, I won't tell you how, but anyway, it worked out. And, but uh, you ever experience that? You go through, it's like you find out you have cancer, your kid's going through some incredible thing or whatever, and all of a sudden, the peace of God just shows up, and it's supernatural, you know? It can happen a million different ways. One of the most important ways it happens, though, is the, the, the way that Paul focuses on in this passage here, in chapter 2 of Corinth, uh, the Corinthians, where he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit's job to open our eyes to spiritual truth. The whole chapter is about that. Now, why is this so important? Because one of the most supernatural things that happen in your life and my life as you're growing in Jesus is that he will from time to time open your eyes to spiritual truth, things you may even have known before, but it's never really hit you. For example, you know, you're, you're here, have you ever, ever been in a sermon and you just feel like, I don't even know why everyone's here. This is obviously just for me. You know, you ever been in that experience? Like, this guy's talking right to me. It's embarrassing. It's like laser beam, you know? Um, 
And, and it's like, what's happening? The Holy Spirit is just speaking to you through that message. You're reading the Word. It's coming alive. You're in a life group. Someone shares something. A light goes on. You're driving down the freeway. A, a, radio, a song comes on the radio. God speaks. Something happens. But there's an aha moment where God takes certain truths, something that you've known, maybe not known, and you see it. Well, when God does that, there's usually some implications for action. He'll just show you, just like, oh, that's interesting. There's often he shows you and there's implications. Wow, I never saw that. Oh, I need to forgive that person. I need to go and ask for their forgiveness. I need to go to my daughter. I need to stop this relationship. Oh, I need to stop spending my money that way. There, something is, God is bringing something to the light and he's calling you to do something. Now here's the thing. If you want to keep your life supernatural, let me tell you how is that when God shows up and opens your eyes to spiritual truth, just always say yes as soon as possible. If you want it to continue happening, if you want God to continue to show up and show you stuff, just say yes as soon as possible when He shows you and take action. And guess what? He will show you more. On the other side, though, when we reject the new insight the Holy Spirit brings to light, guess what? We don't get any more. We lose it. And our lives become routine and mundane and rote and ritualistic. We know all the rules of Christianity, but the Holy Spirit's not showing up. He's not doing anything. Why? Because we resisted Him. Did you know that the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit? It says we can resist the Holy Spirit. These are quotes. And it says we can quench the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Spirit when we resist what He's showing us. And the end result is it quenches His work in our life. And so He's not going to show up. He's not going to show you things, you see. So if you want a supernatural life, and you feel like this is not really happening, or it is happening, you just want to happen more, how do you go about that? The first thing is you ask for it. There in your note sheet, there's a verse from uh, Jesus, the second verse down, where he says to his disciples, if you then know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you want to experience a more supernatural walk with Christ, ask him for it. Say, I'm not happy with where it is. I want more of you. I want your spirit in my life, working in my life more powerfully. And then, after you ask, get ready to obey. Okay? Because often, there's going to come something out of going to say, I'd love to do that. Here's what I need you to do. You see? And you take that step, and God begins to work in new ways in your life. Great verse there. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, the top one on your note sheet, this section. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since you've been born again supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, now walk out your life in step with the Spirit. See, supernatural from beginning to end. Uh, hone in. Pay attention. Okay. Now, so for us as a church, as we wrap this up, for you as an individual, but for us as a church, what does it mean? I really believe if we're going to stay on track spiritually over the years here at Rocky Peak, as we move into our future, couple things. We need to keep it simple. We need to hold on to the Word of God. We need to hold on to the testimony of God about Jesus in the New Testament. That Keep it simple. We're not going to get off track. We're not going to look for some weird thing. We're not going to look for the latest fad that comes along. 
We're going to understand that if we have Jesus, we have everything. We just need to press deeper into Jesus in the New Testament. So we're going to keep it simple here. But secondly, we want to keep it supernatural. We want to be a church that says, God, we understand we didn't just come to you supernaturally, but we are going to grow supernaturally. We want to be a church that's not just living by your spirit. We want to be walking, keeping in step by your spirit, you see. And as we keep it simple, as we keep it supernatural, I can't tell you, I'm just excited about what God's going to do here. Because we don't even know. We don't even know what he's going to do. But I'll tell you what. When God finds a group of people that are willing to keep it simple and keep it sim- supernatural, guess what? He's going to show up. and He's going to lead us. And it's going to be amazing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our church. And we just acknowledge, Lord, that this church belongs to you. And, and we are all about you. And Lord, we so much want to live supernatural lives. We don't want to live routine lives and boring lives and ritualistic lives where we start off the Christian faith supernaturally born again. Our lives are changed and then it just becomes a rut. It just becomes a routine. We don't want that. We want to walk with you. We want to stay in step with you. Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit, not just a little bit. And so we pray, Lord, as a church, will you come and visit us? Will you wake us up? Will you speak to us? Will you direct us? And as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to talk to those of you here who have never really taken that step of giving your life to Jesus. We've studied today that until the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you're born again, you can't even make sense of spiritual truth. And if, that, if God's working in your life today, then there's a hunger there for that. You're here today, it might be your first time, but you want to experience Christ. You want to have your sins forgiven. You want to know Him. And so if that's you, I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And it's just a prayer to ask Jesus into your life, to give your life to him. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, then I'd like you to pray along with me just silently as I pray. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. I ask you to forgive my sins and to give me your Holy Spirit so I can understand who you are And what it means to walk with you. If you just pray that prayer as our heads are still bowed. If you just pray that prayer. In a minute we'll be taking our offering. There's a registration card that you'll be dropping in. Would you write me a note and say, Mike, I prayed that prayer. I'll know what you mean. And then this week, I will send you a letter with the steps you can take in your new journey with Jesus. And we can also be praying with you. Lord, we just pray now as a congregation. It's Rocky Peak. God, we invite your spirit to come and take hold of this place to be our leader. You promised that he would be our mentor, our life coach. And as a church, we want to move forward under the direction of his leadership. We pray, Lord, you would teach us to keep it simple and to keep it supernatural. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.